In the name of Christ Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith, I bid you greetings and my prayers for a happy new year for this church. It is good to be with you all at, at Hope once again. It seems like it's been a long time since I was here last, and um, I consider this um, this um, meeting with us uh, a blessed beginning to the year 2022. So let's have a brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service as it has progressed to this point. And we ask you to carry us the rest of the way for we can do no good thing without you. We ask that the word that is shared today be blessed beyond measure and that your people are edified to your approval. Use this humble one who stands at this desk, Father God, to your glory and not to his own. And we submit ourselves to you humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it would not be honest of me to say that 2021 has been will, or will be remembered as the most peaceful and easy 365 days in world history. It has been a year of challenges and trials, a little better than 2020. And although we pray and hope for a much brighter and happier year to come, many predict that at least this early part of the year, of the new year, will be a repeat of the old in the matter of our economy, social and political discord in the country, and most especially this current health crisis that we just can't seem to get a handle on. This crisis began with the virus that was numbered 19, which seemed to suggest that there had been at least 18 prior attempts. And then came this variant we called Delta, which gave me the feeling that we were being attacked by some special forces unit of the army. And now we go into 2022 with Microcon or Omicron. Omicron? Omicron. Which to me sounds like something concocted in a lab a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> Truly, the people of God have been tested on many fronts. And as we greet this new year, many among the faithful are experiencing this growing sense of anxiety and frustration. Many feeling their prayers for relief are going unanswered, are feeling tired, sorrowful, and discouraged. Believe me, my friends, I feel you. And it is to you to you especially, the most faithful among the faithful, that this particular message is dedicated and directed. And we're going to begin with this reading from the book of James, chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, which read, Consider it pure joy, and I'm reading from the New International Version, by the way. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance or steadfastness, as we heard in the song and in the prayer before. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But now this is important. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Now I call your attention to verse 2 in that passage which says, Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Trials of many kinds. That would be an accurate description of what the people of God have always faced, but seemingly in increased measure these last few years. Trials of many kinds. From conflicts between nations to conflicts within nations. Issues of economic recession, social unrest, and political infighting dominate our nation's headlines. Drug and alcohol addiction are exploding the populations in our jails, our medical and psychiatric institutions, and our cemeteries. Gun violence transforms city streets into scenes from a Wild West movie. Another school shooting is reported, sending the debate over gun control to ever-deepening levels of hostilities between those who are for it and those who are against it. The issue of global warming is preached as a sign of Armageddon by one group and mocked as a hoax by another. In the Midwest, a tornado strikes, leveling entire towns, taking scores of lives and leaving scores more missing and unaccounted for. And farther west, wildfires rage, killing residents, destroying homes, and decimating millions of acres of forest land. And as if, and as if all that were not enough, the World Health Organization has reported a recent rise in hospitalizations nationwide from a pandemic that has already held the whole world in its grip for two years. A health crisis that has claimed more than 800,000 lives in America alone. And that many health officials agree could have been contained and controlled from the very beginning. If only, well, if only. Trials of many kinds. We can certainly call the state of our present world and the challenges faced by the people of God trials of many kinds. The chaos and disorder enveloping our nation is great and growing. Grim experiences and sad ordeals of escalating intensity and devastating impact find us collectively and individually. Spirits of anger, frustration, and fear come out of the shadows and hover above us like menacing black clouds, overshadowing our daily activities, 
overshadowing our work, overshadowing our play, overshadowing our lives. These are the times that try men's souls, said American revolutionary Thomas Paine in 1776. Well, while he was speaking with regard to our nation's struggle against the tyranny of King George, those same words may well apply to the current struggle of the people of, uh, that the people of God are engaged in against the tyranny of a more internal and eternal adversary. A struggle not against flesh and blood, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians, but against evil forces in the spiritual realms. We struggle against an enemy that is not after our finances or our freedoms or our families, but our faith. We wrestle with the foe that relentlessly attacks us on all fronts, from our boardrooms to our courtrooms to our classrooms to our bedrooms, seeking to gain the final victory not just over our living, but over our very believing. And with that said, my friends, as we step out of the old year and into the new year, I'm going to speak for a few moments words of hope and encouragement, I hope, to the people of God from this text which I've titled, don't stop believing. Now, for those of you who may have been counting, that was my, time, my first fourth time using the term people of God since I started this message. And it might suggest to some of you that this message was written primarily, if not exclusively, for those who share my faith, my Christian faith. And yes, it was. This message of encouragement and hope was inspired with those who worshiped the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as Lord of all creation, specifically in mind. But there may be some who may be thinking, well, wait a minute, Pastor. Those terrible, awful things you mentioned before, global warming and natural disasters, social discord, addiction and violent crime." All those things are not exclusively Christian issues. They're world issues. Problems that all humanity struggles with, whether they follow Christ or not. After all, we're all paying more for the goods and services we need to live day to day. We're all impacted by addiction and violence in our communities. There isn't one among us who, who with school-aged children, whose heart doesn't stop for an instant when the news reports an active shooter situation suddenly occurring at one of our kids' places of learning. We all wrestle with the fear of sickness and death invading our homes and breaking our family circles, Pastor. And the pandemic haunts us all. COVID does not care how we worship God. COVID doesn't care if we worship God. These are times when fear, confusion, and frustration are the constant companions of all the people, Pastor, not just Christians. We're all feeling scared, 
tired and desperate. And we all could use words of encouragement, reassurance, and hope. So why would you deliver such an obviously exclusive message? Why preach hope only to people who espouse God as the Father, Jesus as his Son, and the Holy Spirit as his heavenly emissary? Well, my best answer to that question is to direct you to the first verse in the passage we just read. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy. Now, you see, upon the ears of those who do not share my Christian faith, those words would fall as utter nonsense, foolishness. To those who have not accepted God's word as the truth and who have not confessed his son as Lord, being told to consider their trials and ordeals in the world pure joy would be the most unrealistic, most ridiculous sounding, silliest command that they ever heard. But sadly, even among the faithful, there are many who are finding it becoming more and more difficult to endure the evil ones unrelenting attacks upon their homes and families, their nation and their world, while holding fast to the notion that it must all be considered not just joy, but pure joy. The world is beset by hostility and hate. Division and disorder rages around us in an unrelenting storm of transgression and wickedness. Injustice hides within the law, and the law pardons injustice. Levels of poverty, hunger, and homelessness rise even in our wealthiest societies. Evil looms above us like a fearsome shadow, mocking our prayers for the light of the world to shine through disperse the darkness, and bathe the world in the peace and glory of righteousness. And it all takes place in the midst of a pandemic that simply will not go away. The world teeters on the edge of despair with the faith of the faithful stretched to the point of breaking. Even the most steadfast among God's people feel the fabric of their belief fraying stressed and loosening at the seams. But for reasons I will reveal shortly, it is to you, most of all, you, the most faithful among the faithful, that I direct this message of hope. It is to you, the devoted followers and believers in Christ, during this time of your testing, that I issue my urgent, heartfelt cry that you hold fast to your faith. You know, I want to read this verse to you from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verse 13, that says, Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of their testing, they fall away. In that verse, Jesus is explaining a parable he told his disciples about the different conditions in which his word is received and is either kept and nurtured or abandoned. His parable included his so-called followers 
who were firm enough in their faith until the ground got a little rocky and the going got a little rough. And then, to put it in Jesus' words, they fell away. But to put it in my words, they stopped believing. And my prayer is to you, in light of these times of testing, these times that try men's souls, it is to you, my prayer, that you do not fall away, that you don't stop believing. You know, the Bible in addition to being the most brilliant and beautiful literary work ever conceived, is also the most repetitious in its content. A single point made in one passage is often repeated word for word in another. And certain verses read in the Old Testament are reiterated in the New Testament to stress their importance and embed their value in the reader's memory and spirit. The book of John alone uses the verb, to, the verb to believe 98 times. Clearly, the apostle is making a point in his gospel message that he does not want his readers to miss or to forget. And that point is this. Believe. Keep believing. Don't stop believing. John repeatedly stresses that point. And why not? You see, we often need to be reminded. That is the purpose of this message, my friends. Not to reveal to you anything that you don't already know, but to call you to a renewed commitment to that which you do know. Sometimes we just need to be reminded to occasionally and even regularly have the wisdom of the Lord which has already been imparted to us, stirred and stimulated inside us. Sometimes when the day-to-day -day challenges get a little bit heavy, when the pace set for us to maintain has been accelerated, when two new problems spring up for us when we barely had time to resolve just one before or were unable to resolve it at all. Sometimes when we're feeling a little bit outnumbered, outdistanced, and outdone. Sometimes, most especially when our prayers for relief and peace seem to go unanswered, we feel the sting of anxiety, fear, and despair just a little more intensely than we're willing to confess. Doubt nags at us, and doubt, when it's with us just long enough, becomes unbelief. Throughout his ministry, Jesus continuously emphasized the importance of relentless faith and steadfast belief to his followers. He warned them that the time of, death, of, of the testing of their faith would surely come. And he admonished them that their deliverance from evil would not be in the miraculous works of his hands, but in their single-minded refusal to abandon their faith and stop believing. Jesus sought, commanded, and required his disciples trust in him, not because he performed wonders and works, but because he taught the truth to them and demonstrated his love for them. You see, feeding 5,000-plus people with two fishes and five loaves is an impressive work to be sure, 
but it is a work that would only sustain the body for a little while. His love, however, is the far greater work, more important to life than bread alone, and it sustains the soul forever. His love is the work that gladly submitted him to a lingering and humiliating death on the cross for our salvation's sake. And speaking of works, listen to what Jesus told his disciples about works in the book of John 14 and 12. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Now think about that. According to Jesus, those who come after him will do even greater works than he did. You know, I've read that verse countless times, and I've meditated on it at length. And try as I might, I cannot imagine how it is even possible to do greater works than Jesus did. But there are two things I do know for sure. Number one, Jesus said it, so it must be true. And two, these greater works will only be done by someone who believes in him. Those who follow him faithfully. Those who put their trust in Jesus when reason and logic seem to demand that they do otherwise. It is to you, you stubborn believer, specifically that God sends this message. You who have come so far in your faith, weathered many storms and suffered many losses, you have maintained your trust in the Lord through all hardships, the trying times, the trials of many kinds, as the apostle calls them, that life has thrown your way. And now, as trouble mounts upon trouble, as problems pile up, and as the whole world is caught in this downward spiral of sin and sickness, apparently with no relief in sight, you're starting to feel just a little bit pressed down, just a little bit weary, and your faith just a little bit stretched. It is to you, you against whom the evil one launches attack after vicious attack, aiming to afflict you with anxiety and disable you with doubt, that these words of encouragement are dedicated. It is you whom I urge and implore, Hold fast to your trust in the Lord. Stay the course. Maintain your walk by faith and don't stop believing. Don't stop believing because the greater works Jesus spoke of are actually his works. The power of the gospel demonstrated in the lives of you who refuse to lose trust in God and abandon your faith. The greater work is his glory. His kindness, his compassion, and his love shining like a beacon in the words and deeds of those who stubbornly represent him. It is through you, through your uncompromising faith, your abiding insistence on waiting on the Lord, and your steadfast refusal to back away from your belief, no matter how great the test, the temptation, or the trial, that, that, that these greater works will be done. Don't stop believing. Jesus called you the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Your faith has the power to give flavor to a tasteless world, and your believing carries the potential to pierce the darkness of deceit and death 
with the truth of the gospel, which is the light of life. Remember that no matter what the enemy tosses at you, the spirit of the Lord is within you, and greater is he who is within you than he who is within the world. Remember that for all the tricks and taunts and treachery devised by the evil one, know to, to craft your downfall that no weapon, no weapon formed against you shall ever prosper. Let that truth alone mature your faith into the substance of the things that you hope for and the proof of your blessings to come. Let it stir your believing. Your weather-beaten, world-ravaged, time-tested, persistent believing to inspire those younger and newer in the faith and less steady in their believing. Let your life experience reflect the truth of Jesus' promise that nothing is impossible for those who believe and the apostles' assertion in Philippians 4.13 that they can do anything, anything by the power of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Don't stop believing. Remember that you serve a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and, and bring that hope to those who have lost hope and have lost their way. Let your steadfast believing remind your fallen brethren of the gospel message of recovery and reconciliation. As Christ opened his arms to welcome the cross, so must you open your arms in wholehearted welcome reception to those who have fallen. Invite them back. Encourage them back. Call them back. Urge them back. Take them back. Remembering all the while that no transgression or guilt of yours was ever enough to keep Jesus from taking you back. And this above all, my friends, let your faith provide an introduction to the Lord for the unbeliever, the one who does not know Jesus in the remission of his sins. Be a living testimony to the goodness, a grateful recipient of and witness to his grace and his mercy. Let his glory so ring in your works and so shine in your life that even the most doubtful and skeptical will be moved to ask how you can be so trusting in your most dire circumstance and remain so believing even when it doesn't seem to make sense to believe. For an illustration, I want to offer this story from the 16th chapter of Acts. Paul and Silas, during their missionary journey, are arrested, beaten mercilessly, and thrown into prison in Philippi for the unpardonable crime of preaching the gospel. This, now, this prison is a network of underground cells, and it was more like a mass grave than a prison. Actually, all that was required was for it to be filled in. And for about 99% of those in prison there, that would be the ultimate outcome. No windows, no light, except for a few torches lining the walls, and no way out. It was a situation where it didn't just make sense to believe in deliverance or rescue. A situation of no hope. But no hope was not enough to make Paul and Silas abandon their faith and stop believing. As the midnight hour approached, that subterranean jail rocked 
understood the sounds of those two missionaries singing hymns of praise with such commitment and passion that the very foundations of that underground prison shook. The cell doors flew open and the manacles fell from the ankles and from the wrists of all the men who were in that gruesome place. Now the guard is shocked and amazed at this incomprehensible turn of events. And more than that, the poor man is terrified because with the doors open and the chains undone, he can't prevent a mass escape of the men he's assigned to keep confined. And he knows what his superiors will have done to him if even one of his prisoners gets away. And so seeking to avoid that punishment, this guard draws his sword and he prepares to take his life, which, he's consi which he considers the easiest way out. But from within the bowels of that dungeon came the voices of Paul and Silas urging the guard, hey, don't kill yourself. No one has escaped. We're all still here, still here, praising God. To the two missionaries, their faith was far more precious to them, even in their freedom. And in verses 29 and 30 of that passage, the prison guard, who was an unbeliever until that moment, dropped to his knees in front of those two prisoners asking, what must I do to be saved? And that is my charge to you, believer. Let the unbeliever be so moved by your confidence and unshakable faith in the Lord, no matter what your circumstance, that like that prison guard, they will be compelled to ask you what they must do to be saved and watch them be amazed at your simple one-word answer, believe. That is why this message is offered most especially to those of you who have been so committed to the gospel through these times of trials of many kinds and are beginning to feel the strength of your faith lessen even slightly. This prayer of encouragement and hope is for you most of all because the world needs you, my friend. The world needs you to remain strong and steadfast in your faith. You see, I know it is the gospel that will deliver us out of these times of economic upheaval, social discord, political confusion, and this persistent pandemic. And I am persuaded that it is through you, the most faithful among God's people, that his work of deliverance will be accomplished and that by your example, these trials of many kind will not only be overcome, but will be considered pure joy, as James wrote. Why? Because the people of God will be made all the greater for having endured them. Because of all the works of God's hands, my friends, we are his greatest work, the crown jewel of his creation. As he is the potter, so we are the clay, formed and molded by his hands, finished and perfected in the furnace that is our world and the fire of human experience. Trial and adversity do not diminish us. They only make us stronger. And so the world needs your example of unflinching faith and stubborn believing to lead it through the darkness of sickness, sin, and death towards the marvelous light of Christ. These stressful, difficult times, you might be 
in these stressful, difficult times, you might be the only proof of God's presence that some people may even witness. In a world growing more desperate for the truth that makes men free, you just might be the only source of that truth, the only Bible that some people may read. might be you. Jesus is the hope of the world. And the world needs to see that hope. Let them see it in you. You who have been shown the way and who know the way are now encouraged to lead the way. And as we greet this new year and whatever hardships or challenges it may bring, I implore you, true believer, to remember that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Remember it. Walk in it. Live by it. You've already come so far, but we've yet a ways to go. So stay the course. Fight the good fight. Finish the race. Keep the faith. And don't stop believing. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. And we offer our steadfast faith, our unconditional believing in who you are and what you do. Father, I thank you, and I ask you to bless this assembly, that their believing be increased and enhanced by your word delivered here today. Father God, um, we pray and give you all honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mitch.